This is the Life Therapy with Zeta podcast. I'm Zeta. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Conversations with Ourselves. Today I am in conversation with Ainsley, who will be asking the all-important questions. Our subject matter today is mother. Of the great many pieces of advice given in the world on success, few sum it up so clearly as this, for me, simple truth. Success has the face of your mother. It is simple, clear, and direct. We all know people, and perhaps even ourselves, who struggle with achieving success in life and wonder why. What few realize is the significance of the relationship with our primary caregiver in relationship to our success in life. In this conversation, we explore the meaning and context of that relationship and how it shapes our perception of life, love, and relationships, the foundation of success. Hello, Zita. Hi, Ainsley. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Things are good. Every day is something new, and that's the purpose, I think, of these conversations, is to look at the new and forward thinking. And But today, I think we are going to actually go back a bit and talk about the past. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and the value in looking into your past, how it can uh, affect your present day situations. Well, right up front, what I want to say to that is that in terms of how I work as a coach and therapist in the systemic perspective, it's different to psychotherapy, which kind of looks at the past and keeps looking at the past to get a sense of what's going on now. In coaching and therapy, the way I practice it, we look at the past and we say, this happened, but also this happened. Mm. And from looking at it from a number of different perspectives, not just our own, but by looking at the, from the perspective of our mother, our father, and if we had siblings, and the historical time in which the past that we're looking back at happened, we gain a new perspective which changes the way we see our future. Mm. So we go... Through hypnotherapy, we go back into our past and then we learn what happened, things that we may not have been aware of, and then we can then deal with what's happening today because of that. Is that what you're saying? Well, if you put it this way, everybody's got a story. Right. As soon as you meet someone and you're getting to know them, you're going to ask them, well, where are you from? What happened here? And they'll tell you their story. And it's quite well rehearsed because they've been telling it for a number of years. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that story has become quite deeply ingrained. And often the story has, well, nearly always the story is only from the perspective of the person. Right. This happened to me. My mother was this. My father did that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's their perception. The story is your armor, basically. Yes. Yeah. That story can be limiting. 
because it's only been viewed from your perspective. Mm-hmm. However, if we have the opportunity to see it from the position of someone else, we might have a bit more compassion for something that we've deemed or judged to be wrong or bad or negative or something that creates a, or causes us to have a sense of shame perhaps about our past. Mm-hmm. So we can't change the past, but we can change how we see it. And in changing how we see it, we change the story and therefore we create different outcomes going forward. Okay, we can change the story. So to give an example, someone comes to me and says, you know, my mother was awful to me. She didn't pay any attention to me. She gave all the attention to my older sibling. And I was just forgotten about. And so that's my life. You know, it's always been like that. I don't get much. I don't achieve much. You know, uh, even the guys that I date, they kind of don't pay much attention to me either. That's a very limiting life story. If we dig a little deeper, it may be that the eldest child needed more attention. And the mother had to figure out, who to give attention to the most. As we all know in sibling rivalry, every kid thinks that the other child is getting more attention than them. So they've kind of blotted out the truth of the story to see it how they want to see it. And in order to reinforce the structure of how they've seen it, they build the blocks on that. I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough attention. And so I'm going to keep repeating that pattern. Mm -hmm. But if we look back and look at what actually happened, and look at it from the perspective of the mother and the older sibling, we might see actually it was them who got loads of attention, but it still wasn't enough. How important is the relationship with your mother? I know for me, my mother was hugely, she was a place of comfort, of safety. She was always there for me. I think I was quite lucky like that, but I I think that people often don't explore the role that their mother played in their life enough. No, they don't. And if you think that from the moment you were conceived, you have a very intimate relationship with your mother, you literally grow inside her body. Wow. So you're saying it starts from way back there. Yeah. Wow. Because you're born with the capacity to hear. which means that your capacity to hear and feel was established in utero. We know from science that you can hear your mother's voice in utero. Mm -hmm. So you can hear what she's saying by the tone and pitch. You don't necessarily understand the words, but you can sense when a tone is a certain way, vibrationally she feels tense or relaxed. And so we've already got a familiarity, an intimate familiarity with her moods and her emotions and how that impacts us. They've done studies where they've done shown footage of a mother being by a, you know, a guy who's digging up the road with one of those jackhammers. The noise is so loud, she becomes tense and they'll show video of the child in utero clenching its lips and drawing in, in response to the tension she experiences. Wow. That's a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't have that with your papa. Mm -hmm. You have an intimate relationship with your papa, but it's different. 
then we get to birth. Just to come into life, mother and child have to work together in a collaboration mm-hmm. for you to get out of her body and come into the world. Again, your next contact is with her. And for the first four years where you don't have language, you have to communicate to her to feed you, to keep you warm, to pick you up, to give you attention, all without language. Mm-hmm. And she's so tuned, she figures it out without you having the words. So that's a very close, intimate, emotional bond. And everything that happens, even in the first year in that relationship with her, establishes our sense of how safe life is, how stable life is. I have a need, someone responds. They respond right away or they respond a little bit longer. But we have a kind of an antenna that's tuned to her presence. And that closeness and the influence that has starts to create our model of how we will go on to see life in the future. Is, it, is life safe? Does it keep us warm? Does it hold us when we need help? How soothing or comforting is that voice? Is it stern? Is it soft and gentle? Is she stressed? Do I feel safe? Does she have to run? Does she have to hide? We may not understand those things on a cognitive level, but we certainly understand them on an emotional level. And whatever becomes familiar in those first few years will become familiar later. So whether we're more comfortable with stress because that's what we knew, or whether we're more comfortable with ease and the sense of being relaxed because that's what we knew. So from conception through to birth already, we've got a powerful setup for that dynamic with the mother influencing everything. Then we're watching how to keep her love when the male secondary caretaker Papa comes along, how does he get her attention? Because we're looking to mimic that to know how we keep her love. Uh, How do the other people in the scenario, are there other siblings? How do they keep her attention? How does she respond to them? Does she smile at them the way she smiles at me? Or does she frown? Everything, we're like a massive recording device. And she's the template, pretty much, of our whole world after. That's how powerful this connection is. We learn love from mother. Right. And we will repeat that pattern in our relationships. If we feel like we've got enough from mama and enough uh, support and response when we reached out, we will feel the same thing about the degree of abundance or scarcity there is in life. If we got a sense that life was abundant and mother could always give to us, or we'll go out into life and expect that life will always give to us. Right. You know, we have this way of negatively saying people have a sense of entitlement. Well, sometimes that can be positive. Mm-hmm. They felt entitled to mother's love, and she felt entitled to give it to them, and therefore they feel entitled that life should offer them the same thing. So what if you did not, let's say, have a great relationship with your mother, or your mother was absent, or you didn't have that, uh, you were adopted, let's say, and you didn't have that closeness with your birth mother um, that a lot of us had. And then you 
have all these issues that come up in your life. How do you look at that and how do you, as a therapist, assist someone in dealing with that past trauma, maybe, it's, it's, um, or that past lack of relationship with the mother because she is so important? Okay, there are a number of questions in there. Let me sort of break it down to bite-sized pieces. Even the separation of up to a day from mother in the first year of life can have an impact. Uh, you'll often hear of people who the mother had a traumatic birth and the child was put in an incubator and the mother was, you know, ill, really ill down the wall. The child has a sense of that trauma. Right. So sometimes in therapy, what we'll have to do is a rebonding, reconnecting for the adult to revisit this attachment so that they feel securely attached. Because once it's been broken, it's very hard to repair something that's happened in the precognitive stage of life. It has a tremendous impact. Adoption, what's most important really with adoption is the adopted parent remember that they are the guardians. There is nobody else that can be your biological parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Only the parents that you had. You know, the sperm and the egg that came from these two human beings mm -hmm. creates what is the mother and father role. Now, I know that uh, some people might disagree with that because of other transgender issues, et cetera, et cetera. But also we'll leave that aside. So sometimes adoption works well and sometimes it doesn't work so well. And a lot of that can be to do with the family patterns in the family of biological family of origin. You cannot change where you biologically come from, no. but adoption is not an awful thing. You know, it's, 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 you can also find love and feel safe and have the similar experiences, even though you were adopted. Yeah, similar, but not the same, because our belonging is to biological sameness. It's not ideal. Right. Principally because there are actually no real orphans anymore. An orphan is someone who has no living relatives that are biologically connected to them. So there is always an interruption, and it is felt by the family system. If anything, it's almost felt by the family system as the theft of a child. Mm. So when people are adopting, it's really important to really honor that that child has come to them and they are purely guardians. Yes. That's important. It's very important, yeah. That's very important. And that they make no claim to be anything other because then you are trying to assume that you are more powerful than nature. Mm. No human can do that. So that's a very broad understanding of the complexities of adoption. Yes, on the whole, it is good. Right. Yes, on the whole, it has benefits. Right. But it also has aspects that are more challenging for those who have been adopted than those who have not been adopted. To my original question, basically what I'm trying to figure out is if someone comes to you and has obvious signs of 
trauma or, or self-esteem, do you first look to the relationship with their mother? Is that one of the first things you would, you would go to? But first look at the relationship to the family system that they were born into. So okay. both mother and father, broadly speaking, okay. but usually then we go into mother. Because if you're struggling with money to earn a stable income or to ask for it or to receive it, if you're struggling with your relationship, you can't have one or you keep getting divorced or you can't stand that close to your partner in life, our ability for intimacy is all centered around that relationship with the mother to a greater or lesser degree. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if in adoption, for example, there will be abandonment issues. I'm going to be careful of that because we're going off somewhere else. But yes, the relationship with the mother is pretty central to our success in life. If we think that we didn't get enough from mother or she didn't give us enough or she wasn't there enough or she left us or she wasn't available, we will have that experience of love and uh, of life. And we will struggle with uh, having long-term committed relationships. We will struggle with intimacy. We will struggle with money. Or we will struggle with a sense of stability and feeling a real sense of fitting or finding our right place in life. And our real core strength comes from either having a photograph in our heart and mind of our parents as a combined unit mm -hmm. or having that experience in life full stop. So children of divorce are going to struggle more with confidence and esteem issues because their parents have broken apart. Something just came to mind. I have a friend, a female friend, who just actually, she was adopted, and she just discovered her birth mother. Oh, how lovely. In her 50s. She's in her 50s now, my, my friend. She is literally the splitting image of her birth mother. They're going to meet in a few weeks. You know, she, she had a great adoptive process. You know, her, her adoptive parents were great, and she had a great childhood, and she was very happy and she's successful in her, in her life and everything. But to see how finding the person that she came from is actually having a profound effect on her. Yeah. Even now in her in her fifties. Yeah. is amazing. It's just, you know, you can never replace that person who gave you life. Absolutely not. It, it, it's vital to the survival of a child in some way or having holding a good story of mama in one's heart and mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a story that I saw recently. It's running on Netflix, which is the Kevin O'Coin story. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, that sense of loss is palpable all the way through until he finds his mother. Right. And there's a moment of uplift in reconnecting with her. But then sadly, because of the way life and values are, she rejects him again because he's gay, which is devastating. Mm -hmm. And you can see the impact of that. So there's always pluses and minuses and pros and cons to every story. But yes, finding one's biological family, 
having a, the more we know about our family, who they are, where they came from, and what they've been through, the stronger and more secure we are, the more grounded we are, because our roots are sunk deeply into the soil. You go down to Latin America, and they've got stories about their family going back 14 generations. Mm-hmm. And those families are strong. Those people, we, we, we even mock them because of their style. Of They're so forward and open. But that's what happens when you're connected to your roots. And every disconnection, every person in the family who's been excluded or lost because of war or famine or strife or poverty makes the roots a little weaker. And our strength comes in remembering every family member and bringing them back into the fold. You look at, for example, people who are... Promiscuous? Promiscuous, that's the word. So if you imagine that making love, sexual contact, is about creating life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And part of that creating life is saying, you know, I see you and I want to add you to my family because we've got the possibility to create love, life. So let's test it out. So promiscuous people have a lot of family members that are missing and they are trying to replenish those missing family members by saying, I'm making you part of my family. I'm making you part of my family. I'm making you part of my family. I I know people like this. Yeah. And that just, that just made complete sense because I know people like that. And they are building an army of all the people that they have slept with who have a loyalty now because of that connection. Uh, lost lots of children because of miscarriage. Yeah. If you look in the 70s, there was a form of contraception called the coil. It didn't stop conception. It stopped the fetus developing. So quite often these women would conceive tons of children and they had no idea. So those children that did eventually come into life, they have 17 unborn siblings. Wow. This is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's really, wow. Because I, I know people in my life. We well, all do. That, that, are, that, are bas- that are not basically, that are good people, but they, they have this yearning to find connection in a sexual way or just to bring people in to sort yes. of hold on to, even if it's just for an hour. Yeah. And, we, and look, our moral judgment says those people are bad. Actually, it's quite the opposite. They value life so much, they just want to make more of it. That's amazing. This is so mind-blowing and so important, I think, for people to hear. That's that's amazing. Because, again, we all, like you said, we all know people like this, and we wonder, why are you like that? And, you know, but it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. To wrap up, um, Mother. She is and always will be a vessel from which we come. Yeah. And it is important, if we can, to find, to know who she, who she is and, and, and how she affected our lives. Absolutely. Look, from my perspective, and I'm going to go on the record saying this, there is nothing holier or more divine than mother. Yes. She's given up her body to give you life. There is no greater gift than that. And if we have a capacity to honor that for all that it is and all that she came with as she is, 
faults, weaknesses, brokenness, unbrokenness, we have the capacity to succeed. The closer we can stand in our hearts to our mother, the more successful our life will be. Life Therapy with Zita. Always a pleasure, Zita. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ainsley. Thank you for joining us today on Conversations with Ourselves in Conversation with Ainsley. If you would like any more information about the matters discussed, please feel free to email me at zeta at lifetherapywithzeta.com. Subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest updates as soon as they come. Leave a comment or a review. Thank you for listening.